0: I've come to realize after all of these years of trying to do this thing called Sabbath that it's not necessarily an individual personal thing as much as it is a communal thing. So the practices that's on there, what I wanna encourage you is to think of it as something that you could practice if you're married with your kids and your family as a whole. If you're single, with your friends, your roommates, uh, keeping the Sabbath is not just a personal, individual thing that we do. And for those of us that are introverts, uh, we lean towards that. But I think Sabbath keeping, as I look at Scripture, is a communal activity. So think creatively about way to do that together as a community. Does that make sense? Yeah. Second thing is also, um, we recognize that it's a 24-hour, 24-hour time period. But, but think of your season in life and where you are and various things that may hinder you maybe from doing that. And and it's not a legalistic thing as we've been talking about that it has to be 24 hours. If you can't do it for 24, then 12. If you can't do 12, then 6. If you can't do 6, then 3. Think of some time frames that would allow you to begin to do this, okay, and not be overwhelmed by the fact that you can't completely do this for a 24-hour period. Does that make sense? Just as we've been talking about these other disciplines like solitude and silence, I heard from someone that said that even 60 seconds of silence for them and solitude was really hard. And what I want to say to you, and for those of you that wrestle with that, is to say begin with anything. If you've never done this, even a minute or two minutes, it's an enormous progress in your journey. All right. So as we think about the Sabbath and as you think about the insert and various ways to practice that, communally and also think about your season in life. I think about mom's... With little kids, I think about parents of little kids. And the thought of consecrating some time to do this might seem overwhelming. So be gracious to yourself, be kind to yourself, and think of various ways you could do this, okay? How'd you sleep last night? Somebody said, fantastic, okay? That's good for you, Jesse. Um, I think it was Jesse. We are in a... A cultural moment of restlessness. Chicago's a restless place. Anybody agree? There's a frenetic pace about it. There's an intensity about it. There's a relentlessness about it. There's a competitiveness about it. That's why many of you are here. I've never met so many restless group of people than I have in the last 10, 15 years of ministry. It wasn't always like this. I sit with people for coffee, and I'm really intense introvert. And so within 5, 10 minutes, when I get the sense that that person just has a hard time sitting still, being still, because they're so restless and they've never had sacred spaces just to rest, I'm reminded again and again every week, every week that Chicago, this life, this culture, this society is a very restless place. And then I look at scripture and I realize, listen to this, I realize that your ability to sleep is an indication of your trust and humility. Let me say it again. Did you know that the Bible actually says your ability to rest and sleep well is an indication of trust and humility? This is Psalm. This has become one of my favorite Psalms. Psalm three. Let me give you the context. If you put that up, please. Psalm three. David is being hounded by his son Absalom. Absalom, of course, is one of his sons. And by the way, as a father, now these scripture passages come to light in a different way. I'm imagining my son Parker trying to kill me. And he's turned the entire nation against me. It's not just fear. But I'm trying to think of the sadness, level of despair that I would be experiencing as a father, knowing that my son. Psalm 3, if you could put that up, please. Psalm 3, 1. Here's what David says. Now, remember, he's being hounded by Absalom. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Verse 3, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, my glory, and one who lifts my head high. Verse 4, I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. And then listen to this, verse 5, I lie down and I sleep. I wake up because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me and every side. I don't know if the impact of that psalm is actually getting through to you and through to me. Here's David, knowing that he's being hounded by thousands of soldiers who've turned against him because of his son, Absalom. And he knows that his life is in danger, and yet, listen, in the midst of this, this guy, David, has the audacity to say, "I lie down, and man, I got a really good night's sleep." Some of you can't get good night's sleep these days. I'm not going to ask you, raise your hand, because I might get depressed, so <laughs> I'm one of them. But I know that regardless of the challenge that I face, when I wake up tomorrow, I didn't wake up today knowing that there were tens of thousands aiming their arrow and bows at me. And yet David, listen to this, says, I not only lay down, all of us lie down. All of us put our heads to the pillows. We don't only lie down. He says, I ah, slept like a baby. Sleep experts will tell you, it's not the length of sleep. But what? The quality or the depth of sleep. They call it rapid eye movement, REM sleep. You know what David is talking about in Psalm 3? He's talking about REM sleep of your soul. He's talking about a soul that is able to lie down and sleep so well that he's able to rest. I don't care how many vacations you take. I don't care how many breathing exercises you do. Go for a walk with your dog. Whatever it is that we do, if you do not know how to get the REM sleep of your soul, you'll never cease from being restless, restless, restless. You know what Sabbath rest is? the REM sleep of your soul. Psalm 23, David says, and he makes me lie down. He restores what? My soul. How are you doing? Anybody restless? Anybody seven ever? having a hard time just even focusing, concentrating, because your body, your mind, your emotions just running and running and just. If you're new to our church, I'm kind of looking forward to ending this sermon series because <laughs> in a really good way, I'm tired of preaching on it. I'm tired. This is like a 12-week journey. We began with solitude and then silence, stillness, and then Sabbath. Solitude, silence, Sabbath. What is Sabbath? Sabbath is what? The practice of ceasing from our work for a 24-hour period so that we can rest and delight in God and God's good gives sabbath word literally means shabbat literally means to cease or to stop that's what it literally means it means to stop working it means to stop worrying it means to stop wanting the whole point of sabbath is not to do to accomplish to be productive the whole point of sabbath is what just to be with god be present with god to enjoy god to delight in god to remind ourselves god didn't create us for a job god didn't create us to accomplish god created us hello anybody for him to be in love with him to be in relationship with him to delight in him can i get an amen God created us. Well, what about ministry? What about work? Everything we do flows out of that. The whole point of spiritual disciplines that we've been talking about is so that the most important thing we can do is so that these disciplines will allow us to be present and aware to the presence of God every moment, every second. So that we would have contentment, joy, and confidence in his love for us. The whole point of these spiritual disciplines is not that I get something out of it, that check a box and God is happy with me now. They are to allow us to be present with God. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. God does not care about your service for him. Honestly, God does not care about your ministry for him. You go, that sounds harsh. Here's what I mean by that. There's one thing that you can give to God that nobody else can give to God. You know what that is? It's not your service. It's not your ministry. It's not your teaching. It's not the stuff that you do. God has billions and billions. <laughs> Sorry God. has hundreds of thousands of people that do the very same things that you do. There is one thing that you can give to God that is tailor-made for you that no one else can give, you can give to God and that is your affections. Your delight. Everything we do flows out of my delight, my affections for God. There's work in paradise, but it's out of God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the paradise. My phone broke this week. So I got a new one. I told you guys last week that I wanted to chuck this thing up against the wall sometimes because it broke for a day. And do you know how restless I was? Because do you know how much I realize I am dependent on this stupid device? I'm going to state the obvious, this isn't very deep or profound. Do you realize that technology, this thing or these things, is one of the greatest hindrances To you and I practicing the awareness of God every moment, every second? Do you realize that this thing assaults our mind, our bodies, our emotions every second, every moment? Let me put it this way. Do you realize that we have literally given people access to our lives to profit from our restlessness? We have allowed people to monetize our restlessness. What do I mean? Do you realize that you and I have given multi-billion dollar corporations, okay, access into our lives to tell us to buy things that we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like? So that what? This thing here, you and I have freely given access to people to go, monetize my restlessness, profit from my restlessness, tell me the stuff that I don't have that I... Rest doesn't come from buying products. Rest comes from resting in the Lord. Secondly, because of this, I could work everywhere. Confession, I use this for my alarm. And here's what I found myself doing. When it goes off, i reach for it i don't just turn it off you know what i find myself saying i reach for it turn off the alarm and check in my emails from the night before if that's you say amen before i've had even a cup of coffee my mind is what on emails and confession the news the news of what happened the day before. And here's the thing you need to know when you wake up in the morning, do you realize that that is one of the most precious times? Because when you wake up in the morning, you're most rested and you are in the most undefended state. Do you want those times in the morning to be given access to technology or do you want to give that time access to God? And it's not just in the morning, it's at nighttime too. Instead of when the sun goes out I'm going to sleep. What do I do? I'm on that stupid thing, just flipping through Facebook, although not, I'm, not, I'm not on Facebook anymore. Flipping through the news or whatever. Instead of, instead of reflecting on the day and thinking about moments where God was present, moments where I experienced God, what do I do? I cram one more email in. I cram one more text in. Believing this lie that says, if I could just do one more thing, maybe I'll be finally caught up. Oh my goodness. And you wonder why when your pastor preaches on Sabbath and silence and solitude, you're like, are we like in the 17th century? What the heck is going on here? Are we really in Chicago until 2009? This is so foreign to us. You and I have a choice. How do I want to live so that I can be who I want to be? How do I want to live so that I can be who I want to be? Do I want to be enslaved to technology and our culture and the society? Don't live my life moment by moment, aware of God's presence, so that I could delight in Him, be content in Him. We've never had more need for these disciplines in my life, but we are in less time capacity to was able to do these disciplines, and I, as argued last week, emotionally even less capable. So we, uh, we live in denial, we medicate ourselves, we nurse fantasies, do all kinds of things instead of drilling deep down into what are the root causes of this issue. Do I want to live different? Do I want? Can I just ask you? Do you want to live different? Say Amen if you do. And God then comes and says, "I've given you this gift of Sabbath. I've given you the gift of stillness and silence and silence. Not for me. You don't have to do this for me. So I gave it for you, for your freedom, for you to flourish." So today, I'm finish this sermon on Sabbath and Sabbath-keeping. The text we're going to look at is Mark chapter two. So turn your Bibles to Mark chapter two. In Mark chapter two, find this short text, and we can't look all of it, but Mark chapter two, we're going to look at some principles from which Sabbath-keeping becomes something that we can incorporate into our lives. Here, here, here it is, on Mark chapter 2, verse 23. On one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. Uh, I want to stop right there and say this. What the disciples are doing here is actually taking advantage of an Old Testament law, and because they did it, it gives us actually a principle about Sabbath keeping that I want to just highlight for two minutes. The law actually found in Leviticus, In Leviticus, as God's laying out the laws to his people in the Old Testament, listen to what God says. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. The law was called the law of gleaning. And what that was is the Israelites were not allowed to glean to the very edges of their harvest. For two reasons one god says i'm going to teach you that my people care for the poor and the needy and the foreigner by the way can i just mention again that the bible in the old testament continues to say how you care for the foreigner is how you care for me how you care for the poor is how you care for me but what is god doing here you know what god's doing he's putting a design limit on productivity so they don't overwork Let me say that again God's putting a design limit on productivity so they don't overwork. The principle is this. You and I need to inject Sabbath into our work. Mmm, Nate. Mmm, Nate. Do you know what this means? Sabbath is not just a habit. It's an attitude. What do I mean? Give me two minutes to just shock some of you. You might want to walk out during this. That's okay. Let me shock some of you. Do you know what this is saying if you want to live this? If you really want to follow Jesus and walk the way of Jesus and be healthy and whole, you might need to have fewer goals in your life. If you really want to follow the Sabbath and follow the way of Jesus, shocker, you might actually have to risk falling behind in your career. Because unless you're willing to risk falling behind in your career, unless you're willing to not do as much as you do, you may never follow the way of Jesus. And of course, half of the congregation today walked in despairing because you're comparing yourself to your classmates, your peers, your co-workers. And you're depressed because your career is not as far as is You're looking at your life. You don't make as much money as they are. And you're just constantly wrought with guilt because you're not quite where you need to be. You know what Sabbath keeping is? It's an act of liberation where you say to yourself, I am not defined by my career status. I am defined by Jesus Christ. Some of you will never live the way of Jesus. Because career status and career goal is the idol of your life. And the thought of falling behind in a career and letting other people pass, thought of not being as productive is such a shocker. By the way, do you know why it's a shocker to our system? It's because we might not have sold our souls to the devil, but we've sold our soul to culture. We don't define success as God defines success. We define success as culture defines success. Can I ask you a question, though? What good is it if you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your soul? What good is it if today you have your job, you have your career, you finally got to where you wanted to be, but you realize, is this it? Is this all there is? I've said this before. It's powerful. James, one of our church folks reached the pinnacle of his career as a young man. And he said, Pastor Peter, you know how you kept preaching? If you're young, the worst thing that could happen to you is to be successful, achieving success at a young age. You know why? Because the sum total of who you are, because you've experienced success early, is what you do. You've allowed success to be the same. You don't even know who you are, man, apart from your success and achievements. Do you even know who you are? If you're not doing what you're doing. Do you really want to follow the way of Jesus? What does this mean? Inject some Sabbath keeping into your work. Do you want to be healthy and whole? I've been a pastor for 30 years. I've been on the deathbed of a number of people. I've yet to hear hear one single soul tape. Pastor Peter, the biggest regret in my life is I wish I worked more. Not one. Not one. Verse 24. Then, of course, you got the Pharisees in the picture. Who say what? Pharisees said to them, hey, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Correction. There was no law in the Old Testament against what they did. There was a law that they made up called the halakha. Say that with me. Halakha. You got to get some phlegm down there. Say it, ready? Halakha. Halakha were these rules and regulations that the Pharisees, and teachers of the law, put on top of the Sabbath keeping, one of the Ten Commandments. There were 39 of them. To make sure that they were observing the Sabbath, they came up with all of these 39 other rules and regulations to make sure they were keeping it. And one of them was reaping grain. Are you with me so far? We'll come back to that. And then... Jesus says, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the five days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bed, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. You don't do this for God. God gave this for you. You don't do this for God. And then Jesus, of course, says what? Verse 28, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Two things real quick. Number one, Jesus affirms the Sabbath. Jesus says, it's good. You need to do it. So in case you're going, nah, that Old Testament, Fourth Commandment. Though so Jesus says, do it. I want you to do it. It's important. But he says what? Not so that you can do it to earn God's favor. Why? Because that's been settled. That's already been settled. You don't do this for God to accept you, please you, give you a good week. Some of us, I pray, so God, can you give me a good week? I'm going to observe the Sabbath, so can you make some prayers? As God goes, it has nothing to do with that. It's settled. Do you remember the context of the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20? How does does it begin? What does God say at the beginning, before any of the commandments are given? He says what? I am the Lord your God, Exodus 22, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. No commandments yet. I am the Lord your God, but we haven't done anything yet. I know. Who brought you out of land of slavery, but the commandments haven't given. I know. Who brought you out of land of slavery. The Ten Commandments are given in Egypt before They've done anything. The Ten Commandments are not, you're like, wait, that doesn't sound right because it isn't. The Ten Commandments are not given in Egypt as a way of God saying, do these things and I'll deliver you. They're given when? After he's what? Brought them out. After he's delivered them. The commandments are not a condition for a relationship with God. They're confirmation. God's going, you're doing this thing? doesn't make one iota of a difference in terms of how I feel about you. Not one. Not one. My love for you is settled on the cross. My love for you, my acceptance for you is settled on the cross. I'm giving this to you for your flourishing, for your freedom. By the way, is that good news to anybody? Oh, man. See, if you don't get this, if you don't get this, if you don't get this, Not only this commandment, but none of the laws, none of the ethical demands in the entire Bible will make any sense. You'll do exactly what the Pharisees did. Give me like two minutes to do something that I do regularly in New Community. At New Community, we talk a lot about the gospel. Does anybody love the gospel? Does anybody love the gospel? We love the gospel. Yes, we love the gospel around here. And we talk constantly about the difference between gospel and religion or religiosity. In religion or religiosity, the whole point of the laws and commands is to do them so that God will accept you, to do them so God will love you, to do them so that God will accept you and love you. That's the whole point of the law. So you care a lot about what exactly the law is and making sure that you do it, which means and the details are going to be really important. Forget about the intent of the law. But the details, the letter of the law is really, really important. Fundamental starting point of religion is I perform, I'm good, I obey. That's why God accepts me. The gospel is not just different, it's fundamentally opposed to this. The starting point of the gospel is I've delivered you out of Egypt. I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've entered into a covenant with you. That's settled on the cross. So therefore, obey. Don't get this. distoisted. gospel center people don't take the law and go, it doesn't matter. gospel center people take the law more seriously than religious people. Do you know why? Because the law all of a sudden becomes, this is the way that I could live to become like and please the one who did that for me. And the motivation for obedience for a gospel-centered person is not fear, shame, or guilt. Can I just ask you a question? Do fear, shame, and guilt work to get you to comply, obey? Answer, church, no. It doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for me. The motivation that's strong enough to propel, surrender, complete surrender and obedience is what? He loved me like that at an infinite cost to himself. How could I not obey and follow the one who did that for me? Hmm? In Luke chapter 10, a priest, a teacher of the law comes to Jesus and says, hey, how do I, how do I get an eternal life? He says, well, I love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. To which his answer is who's my neighbor what does jesus say he tells a parable of the good samaritan right but you know what the teacher of the law is asking he says, who's my neighbor he wants to know what the details are who's is it my coworker? my neighbor my husband my wife uh, people down the street is it the homeless people what is it tell me exactly who my neighbor na- and what does it mean to love them do i have to give money my time what do i you see the anxiety you see the anxiety in that He do not have the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God awash. So he has to know, what do I exactly have to do? And Jesus says, you're missing the whole point. Someone who's awash in the mercy, grace, and love of God says, who's my neighbor? I'm not going to let these other things define me. Anybody. Anybody is my neighbor. Do you understand this? Loving the Lord your God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength requires labor, but it should be a labor of love. Do you love God like that? Can I remind you? And once in a while, I'll give this example. Somebody comes to you and says, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? A religious person goes, I'm trying! Are you being the Sabbath? I'm trying! You know what a Christian who's wash in the gospel says when somebody says, are you a Christian? They go... Yeah, me. Can you believe it? Me. I'm the last person that deserve, but God reached down and saved me. And your motivation for obedience is not I gotta pull myself. There's no joy. There's no delight. It's duty. It's is there delight in your obedience? Is there delight? in your obedience. Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Can I get an amen? So if it's not for God, and it's for us, what implications? Three implications. Number one. Number one. Sabbath is given to us to remind us that God is the Savior of our lives. Let's read this together. Sabbath reminds us that God is the Savior of our lives. One more time. Sabbath reminds us That God is the Savior of our lives. The other place where the Ten Commandments, the giving of it is given is Deuteronomy. So we turn to that. And at the beginning, again, here's what God says before the commandments are given Remember that you were, everybody say, remember. One more time, remember. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. What is God doing? What is God doing? He's telling the Israelites that when you go away and take time, create space for Sabbath, God is saying to them, I need you to remember that I am the one who provided for your greatest need, deliverance from sin, all by myself. I need you to remember that the greatest deliverance, the greatest deliverance you needed, you had nothing to do with it. Nothing. You contributed nothing to that salvation. I delivered you with my mighty hand. In Egypt, you were slaves. Now, you're sons and daughters of God. By the way, what did you do to Nothing. In Egypt, you were under the cool reign of the terror, terror of Pharaoh. Now, you're under the tender care of your heavenly father. You know what Moses is saying? Everybody look up here. Moses is saying, if God provided... And met your greatest need, your greatest need, deliverance from Satan, sin, and death. Why would you not trust him to meet your day to day needs? Does that make any sense? Does that make any sense? Does it make any sense that we come and we sing about this thing and we go, there is nothing, there is nothing that I could have done. I am a child of God. I am a son. I am a daughter of God. And then turn around and be concerned that God will not, what, meet our day today. Does that make any sense? The answer is no, it doesn't make any sense. And yet we do it every day. Some of us walked in here today going, I got day happening. I don't know if i going to provide for that. I don't know. That's why I have to work. That's why I can't rest. And God's going. whereas Jesus says in Matthew 25, he's piggybacking on this. He says what? I tell you, don't worry. Hey, Sabbath is not just stopping from work. It's stopping from what? Say it with me. Be still and know that I'm God. You know, the word be still literally means to let go of your grip. Some of you, you are so emotionally, mentally exhausted because you're trying to figure out things you can't figure out, man. You're trying to solve things. You can't solve that. You're trying to comp- You And yet we exhaust ourselves going, I'm good. Don't worry about what you eat. Drink. Your body, what you wear, is that life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And then the next verse, I need you to, I need you to be convicted by this. I need you to be convicted by this. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than them? Do you really think, do you really think that the Father who did that for you that when it comes to your day-to-day needs, would go, take care of it on your own. The Father who did that for you, would go, your future, it's up to you. Your family, eh, it's up to you. Do you really think, that's why Jesus says in what? Verse 33, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be what? I don't, I don't rest because everything is done. I rest because God promised that if I do, he'll make up for the rest. Can I get an Amen you guys it's about trust once again psalm 121 i lift my eyes to the hills where does my help come from he who neither slumbers nor sleeps israel will watch over you remember what we talked about last week why does sabbath begin in the evening to the morning because what the jews remind themselves when i go to sleep god goes to work when you're sleeping kingdom is still advancing is that good news when you're sleeping, God is still saving your friends. Is that good news? When you're sleeping, God is still working for His good and your glory. Is that good news? Yes, it is. Then you can sleep. Then you can sleep. Real quick. You know what I notice about people that are trusting? None of us are just born trust. Is anybody here just did you just come out of your mom's womb and going, I just trust naturally? Anybody? Is that you? Will you come and teach me how? Nobody, right? Do you know what I notice about people that are trusting? It's not that they're more spiritual. You know what they do? They practice gratitude. People that are trusting, they practice gratitude. Do you know what I noticed after all these years as a pastor? This is what happens to people that... Tr- people that practice gratitude have this amazing ability to see God's goodness at things that we don't, which enables them to trust God more. Let me say it again. These people practice gratitude. They practice it. It's not come natural. They practice gratitude which then alters the way they see. And so they see things in goodness, see God's goodness, see God's goodness in things that you and I are like, what? Which enables them. It's like they become, as he practiced, more aware of the way that God is at work in people, things, flower, cloud, that cup of coffee from that barista, they see God's goodness all over the place, which again, as you see it, it makes you more trusting. Same principle though with ingratitude. Ingratitude—it's not a heart disease; it's an eye disease. Those of us that are having a hard time with trusting—we don't practice gratitude, and we don't see God's goodness in things. But today He allows us to go. I don't know if I could trust. That's why with Sabbath, start with worship. Start with worship. As you go away, and whatever time, start with, I don't mean pray and read scripture, although you can do that. I'm talking about just spend some moment just thinking to yourself. If you journal, it's amazing, even better. Think about who God is and what he has done. Think about ways in which God's goodness is at work. God's goodness is shown all around us. The small things where God's goodness can be seen. Sabbath is a a day to practice gratitude. As we begin with worship and saying, God, I don't see, okay, help me to see your goodness. Ah yes, ah, and if you're good there, can you maybe do this? And if shown goodness there that I didn't expect, can you practicing gratitude as an aspect of Sabbath? Might be just the thing that some of us need. Begin Sabbath, even if it's two minutes. Just think for a moment, who is God and what has he done? Sabbath reminds us that God is saved. Secondly, Sabbath reminds us that we're no longer slaves or sons and daughters of God. Sabbath reminds us we're no longer slaves. Sabbath is a prophetic act of prophetic declaration of liberation sabbath keeping is a way of saying i am not a slave i am a son or a daughter of god why would god what why would god have to say to israel you were slaves but now why would god have to remind them i'll tell you exactly why do you forget sometimes i forget and you know what else it's one thing to get out of egypt it's another thing to get egypt out of you It's one thing to be set free. Oh, If you're in Christ, you're free. But it's another thing to live free. You've been delivered from Egypt years ago. Why are you still living? And denying your identity as sons and daughters of God? Hello, somebody, can somebody tell, why, 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 why? why? These guys, Israelites, think about it. 400 years in Egypt. Think of how hot that sun is. Oh, good Lord. Think about it. They could not only have a day off, they couldn't even take a moment to breathe. Taskmasters whipping at them and saying, what do you think you're doing? Get up! Who has time to rest? Are you kidding me? Who's gonna make these bricks? These bricks are gonna make themselves. Get up and get to work! Anybody familiar with that voice? anybody familiar with that voice of course you are of course i am you know what that voice comes to it comes like this who has take a take a take take a day to to rest you've got to be kidding you you know you live in chicago right hey if you leave that school who's gonna save those kids you don't want to be a bad parent do you (gasps) You don't want to fall behind in your career. Who's going to make those bricks if you stop? The one, the lie that I'm most accessible to, the lie goes like this. You could rest when you're completely done. Or you could rest when you did it exactly the way you wanted to do it. Do you know that for 30 years, I've been chasing to preach the perfect sermon? I wasn't intending to say that. I just came out. Do you know what it's like to get up here every Sunday and have a couple hundred people throwing out verdicts, I kind of like that, I kind of don't, I think he did all right, Ah, it's kind of boring, it's hot in here, how's he yelling at me, how's he spitting at me, do you know that, do you know that for 30 years, listen, listen, I'm being serious, I've I've chased the perfect sermon. Can I state the obvious, in case you're a little hard-headed? There is no such thing as a perfect sermon, you dummy. I'm talking to myself, not you. And yet, do you know why I'm so tired? Because I hear this voice like you. It's a taskmaster that says, you could rest after you preach that perfect sermon. Why are you chasing something you'll never ever catch why this is why this is so powerful to me what is Paul saying Galatians 5 Galatians 5 it is for freedom that Christ has set us free can I just say something it doesn't say it is for happiness that Christ sets you free don't ask am I happy That's the dumbest question in the world. Am I happy? I wanna be happy. Ask, am I free? Because if you're not free, you'll never be happy. Am I free from the taskmasters? Am I free or am I a slave? You're going, I'm not a slave. Then why can't you say no? I'm not a slave. Then why can't you walk away from your work? I'm not a slave. Then why are you overcommitted? I'm not a slave. Then why does your schedule work like the way it does? I'm not a slave. Then why do their acceptance and approval matter so much to you? Of course, almost all of it is self-imposed. You're a slave to culture expectations, parent expectations, your own insecurities, your own fears. We're all slaves to these things. Sabbath-keeping is an act of declaration that says, I am free. I am a child of God. That does not define me. He defines me. Is this good news? Hear me. I'm almost 50. Those of you in your 20s and 30s, there is no such thing as perfection. Don't waste 20 years of your life chasing something that does not exist. God says to the Israelites, not just once a week, but once every six, seven years, He said, take a sabbatical year. Do you know what that I wish I could preach on that. Next time, I'll preach on that. And part of that sabbatical year was they told these agricultural farmers not to do any work on the land. So for a whole year, the land just sat there. Nobody worked. And God says, whatever gets, comes up, that's what you eat. You know what the principle is? Structure plan time in your Sabbath to do nothing. To which some of us are like, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And half of us are like, oh, Do you know why you need to do this? If you don't discipline yourself to do nothing, you will never, ever overcome the voice of your taskmaster that says, you are what you do. You are what you produce. You are what you accomplish. You are what they say. You are what you have. Never. In solitude and silence, we sit in God's presence and allow His Spirit to whisper, I am so pleased with you. I delight in you. Third and last, Sabbath reminds us to honor or preserve the image of God in our neighbors. Oh, this is the hardest thing for me, you guys. Nate Noonan, this is hard for me. This is the fourth commandment. First three. (laughs) Sorry (laughs) for those of you that saw that. First three. First three. Okay, first three. (laughs) Deal with our relationship with God. I just had a flashback. My wife was like, why do you always not know how old our kids are? You know, every time you're like off by a year. I know. So it's, so it's, it's a disease I have, okay? I'm off by a year on everything. First three commandments, my relationship with God. The last six, our relationship with our neighbors. This command comes in the fourth. And God's going, Sabbath has to do with you and God and you and others. Now, on the surface, at first when I saw this, I'm like, God's going rest because if you don't rest, you're a jerk. And if you ask my kids, they'll be like, Daddy's not pleasant when he's not rested. Okay? It's deeper than that. For 400 years, the Israelites were told, you're not a person, you're a body part, you're a thing, you're a machine. They were told for 400 years, you don't have dignity, you're a thing, you produce, that's what you do. Do you know what happens when you don't rest, when I don't rest? Not only do we believe, I am what I do, I am a body part, I am what I produce. Listen, everybody look up here. We begin to project unto others what we see about ourselves. This isn't just about us. When you and I look at ourselves and go, I'm what I do, what I'm going to have, I'm what people think, I am performance, I am accomplishment, if you do that, then there is no way for you to look out and see other people as people made in the image of God with inherent dignity. You begin to see them in terms of body parts, what they do. So what do we do? Just as we don't see worth and value in who we are, but what we do, you then begin to see other people that way. Can you imagine a society in which we saw people for what they did and not who they are? I know it's hard to imagine, isn't it? Of course it's not hard to imagine because that's the world the moment you set your foot out there. You walk into a city that says, hey man, I don't see worth and dignity and value inherently in you. You're what you do. You're what you produce. So everybody's useful. Everybody's convenient. It's about utilitarian. It's about commodity. Everybody uses everybody. And can you imagine a community, a city in which everybody just uses everybody? Of course you can because that's the city we live in. Can you imagine what this community would look like if we actually walked in here and we looked at each other and we said, you have worth, dignity, and value simply because you are a Creation of God. Do you have anybody in your social circle that you love that does absolutely nothing for you? Or is everybody networked? What can you do? Can... Sabbath keeping is so you could love each other well. It's not just about you. How do we do this? How do we do this? A little trivia, I'm almost done here. She is an American singer, songwriter, actress, entrepreneur, can you take a guess? Who? Beyonce. Beyonce, Cher. Okay, I'll give you a little bit more. Ready? Okay, she has an estimated net worth of $650 million. Okay, we'll keep going. I have not heard the name yet. She sold more than 300 million records worldwide, is recognized by the world's top-selling female recording artist of all time by the Guinness Book of Records. Her live concerts have made over a billion dollars in the course of her 30-year career. Her name, of course, is what? Madonna. In an interview with Rolling Stones, she said this, I have an iron will, and all my will has always been devoted to conquering some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I'm always struggling with that fear. I push past one spell of that fear and discover myself as a special human being worth of worth, and then I get to another stage, and I think I'm just mediocre, and I'm uninteresting, and I'm worthless, and I have to find a way to get out of myself, get myself out of that again and again and again. And then she said the following, and I'm going to put it up for you. My drive in life... Is from this horrible feeling of being inadequate and mediocre. And it's always pushing me and pushing me and pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove to you that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended. And it probably never will. Here's a woman who has everything. And she says, what? I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I'm not good enough. That's you. And me. Do you know why? Kevin, you come on up. Everybody. Everybody, please look at here. We can't do what God did. What did God do? God looked at all of his creation and he said, it's finished and I'm going to rest. To rest is not to just cease working. To rest is to look at your work and say what? I am utterly and completely satisfied with that. So I'm going to walk away. Good night, everybody. Oh, I could have preached that part better. No, no, I, I could have said this better. I could, ah, oh, that whole snafu about them being in Egypt and out of here. I could have, I could have. And I go home, and I continue to think. I continue to think. What could I have done? What could I have done? What could I have done? Why do I do that? I'll tell you why, because it's not just work. It's not just preaching, pastor. There's a work up here. But there's a deeper work, you see. And the deeper work is what? It's the deeper work to prove to validate myself. To God, to you, to myself. It's the underneath work to go, I'm not mediocre, right? I'm not inadequate, right? I'm not just an average pastor, right? Right? It's that work, and that work is never done. It's never done. It's never done. So we can't just rest and say, I'm good. How, how, do you find the ability to say, "I'm done" and I walk away? You have to realize a Sabbath pointed to the ultimate rest found in the ultimate Person, and His name is. Say it with me. Say it with me again. Jesus. Jesus in Matthew eleven says what? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, hey, come to me, I am the Lord, even of Sabbath, I'm the person that all the pointed to, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am just, don't fool yourself into thinking you're not a slave, don't fool yourself that you don't have a yoke, if it's not Jesus, something else is, I'm a teacher, I'm a doctor, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I make a lot of money in my bank account. Something else is your yoke. Jesus says, that will never give you rest. He says, look from me. Genesis 2, God finishes the work of creation, and he says, it is finished. I'm done. And he rested. Centuries later, the same God hangs on the cross, and he says, it is finished. What? The work of salvation. If you don't hear that voice, if you don't hear that voice that says, if you're in Christ, God looks at you and he says, it's good, it's very good. If you don't know that the only approval you need, the only significance you need, the only acceptance you need, you already have. You and I already have in his son Jesus, we will continue in our restlessness searching for perfection or whatever else that's never going to come yeah. a christian is someone who says i rest on the finished work of christ i don't rest in my accomplishments david three you are my glory you are my glory you what is your glory what is your glory your job your business what is your glory your accomplishments what is your glory your phd what is your glory relation what is your glory and you're gonna rest on that if you could rest on Jesus, you will finally, I will finally be able to look at our work and saying, of course there's more to be done. Of course I could do that better. Of course. But that doesn't define me. You don't define me. You don't define me. He defines me. He defines me. He defines me. He is what we need. He. The most mature in Christ are not those working hardest for Him. It's those resting best in Him. Go to Him. Go to Him.